Lowry on the way. Good! Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has a rocket. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. It is I, Bob Schmidt, your host, and we have a special podcast, one with a guest, the Nets Game number two coming up here, and I thought, who better to talk to than the co-host of my favorite Brooklyn Nets podcast? It is known as the Glue Guys, and joining me today is one of two hosts, Mike Smeltz, who does a podcast with Brian Egan, and in stumbling upon it during all the Kyrie Irving debacle that was going on, I came to realize that these guys, on top of being insightful, were very funny and they happened to also attend Syracuse University back in the day. So we had that overlap. So I reached out and I said, Mike, would you grace my podcast with your presence? And he agreed. So here he is joining me on the Fear the Fro podcast, Mike Smeltz. Yeah, it's a, it's a pure, it's pure joy. Is, is the Fro Jared Allen? Is that what yes. fe- whose Fro are we fearing? I, it, was, it, did, it was Jared Allen. Basically, when I was deciding uh, to name this, I think I did probably one of the stupider things in uh, podcast naming conventions, which is to sure. tie your name to a player on the roster, which um, <laughs> I, that's a problem for future Bob. Some I, I was part of The Athletic when we launched our NBA, like all of our NBA podcasts in 20, what was it, 2019? And we had a Houston Rockets pod named after Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And it's like, maybe, like, at least Fear the Fro, like, you had some sense that Jared Allen was going to be around for, I mean, I know he had to sign a contract, I think, pretty there soon thereafter. But, like, it seemed like maybe he'd be part of the team. Yeah. Who knew that? Yeah, he was, I, I figured, restricted Westbrook free agency. I'd probably be safe for, you know, four years unless he was just horrific. And I think in the role he plays, it would be very difficult for him to Westbrook his way out of a roster, you know, like you, you cannot be great. The, the floor for a guy like Jared Allen, I figured that that was a pretty safe thing for me to do there. What did the and, Rockets podcast do, by the way? Did they just oh, change the name or did the whole thing just implode like a super? They just kept it. It was like Brody, which I think is Russell Westbrook's nickname, right? And Brody and, oh, Brody and the beard. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact is the name's kind of like uh, general enough to like, it's almost like Hootie and the Blowfish. There's no Hootie. So you could have been like, oh, is someone just nicknames Brody on the show? And you could kind of just keep it moving and the beard existed. I mean, I think Fear of the Fro, the good thing about that is it's it, there's uh, enough Fro culture. Like you could have, you would have been fine. I think if Jared Allen had left, Fear of the Fro is just like a good, good brand name. We, I mean, we stupidly, we started the glue guys after the Garnett Pierce trade. Brian and I, Brian was my college roommate at Syracuse. We were talking over Facebook Messenger and like, this is, we got to get in on this real estate of the Nets because they're about to win five championships in the row. <laughs> and we first were called the Patroons because um, there was a, a CBA basketball team called the Albany Patroons that Phil Jackson played on. And we thought it was funny to call a team of the Patroons, which is, do you know what a patroon is? Is it a bird of some sort? It's it's a Dutch settler. It's uh, the I people who settled New York uh, from from you know the Dutch who came over New Amsterdam, right? New York it was New Amsterdam, and then uh, that was dumb. 
And then we're like, okay, let's pick a different name. And Glue Guys, again, I like the name. I like Glue Guys. It's very, but it has nothing to do with the Nets. And, you know, if we had just SEO'd ourselves and just been like Brooklyn Nets podcast from 2014 on, we'd be fat cats right now. Yeah. But we were Glue Guys, you know, which is fine. You will see in the podcast notes, I've already been working on a derivative uh, special podcast cover art that's just ripping off your logo. So you'll get to see that when this podcast gets posted, but... uh, is oh. it a famous bridge of Cleveland? Uh, well, the, I the took gar- out the Guardians? bridge and I replaced it with a fro. I mean, it's somewhat derivative. It's just, okay. you'll, you'll, you'll be able to tell. I'm um, thrilled. To the, the Nets and Cavs game, I didn't want to, I'm not going to dwell hugely <laughs> on, on what transpired last night. Um, because I think, I think for the most part, most of the Cavalier fandom has been hoping that somehow the Nets can get up to the fifth seed. In part because clearly... It's way Shame more on you. Well, yeah, all of you. I, uh, you know, though we've we've been on the other end of it the whole season. Where the the reason most people seem to write off the Cavs is because continuity. You know, they don't have the kind of time together that some of these top end Eastern Conference teams do. But I think that's a lot of the same reason why Cavs fans are are eager to perhaps take advantage of Brooklyn before they kind of find their footing here, uh, if that even happens. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. You know, you, you said you listened. So we had our we had Spencer Dinwiddie starting point guard for the Brooklyn Nets on our show on Monday, and I love Spencer. Spencer was the first basketball player we ever had on our show back when he was first with the Nets, back when he was barely known within the NBA at all. Uh, and we had him on because he loves Dragon Ball Z, and anytime we could talk about anything other than basketball, we take that advantage. <laughs> and he, he literally said to us on the show on Monday, he was like, you know, sure. Do I want to win? I want to win. I want to win a championship. Of course I want a championship. I hate losing. Losing's the most annoying thing in the world. But am I going to be realistic and say like, can we beat the Milwaukee Bucks in seven games? He's like, sure, we have a chance to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. But am I going to kill myself? <laughs> no. And I loved it. I mean, and like you could be an angry fan. And be like, you got his, you guys got to win at all costs. You know, Nets fans typically aren't like that to begin with, which is why I enjoy being a Nets fan and not being a, you know, the other option is like the Knicks fandom and they are so wound tight and angry and uh, because, you know, their life has just been horrible for so long. Um, you know, this team, Cavs fans are justified in wanting to play the Nets the first round. The Nets have talent, but they've played 20 games together. I, I don't know if you have kids, but it, it, you know, like when you buy Lego sets, like my son has a Spidey Lego set. He has a Paw Patrol Lego set. And then from like Marvel and he, he'll put them all together and make a Hydra beast of a Lego creature. This Nets roster is that like, it is part of the Suns, part of the Mavericks. And then like the leftovers from the Nets. And so like, they are a slap together team that don't have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and they don't have Ben Simmons, who um, has not been shut down, but it is the loudest, quietest shutdown in NBA history because there's no way that that guy's going to come back and play basketball. So if you're the Cavs, you're going to play the Nets. (laughs) You guys, the thing you have to do is you have to get to to the three seed to play the Nets because you may even have to get to the two seed because the Nets are... There's no way that they're going to come back and get to the five seed at this point. The Nets are two and a half back from the Knicks. And, you know, we're, they're just not that good. You know, if this team had played together for the whole season, I think they would be essentially a 500 team. That's who they are. They are lack, you know, they are lacking the top end talent. But as uh, psychologically, I much prefer this team 
than what was happening before, uh, which is startling to say that you'd rather not watch Kevin Durant, but I'd everything that was surrounding, not Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is fantastic. No hate for him. You guys are maybe familiar with Kyrie Irving. It was just too much. <laughs> yeah. It was, it wasn't fun. It was never fun. Well, and it, and it brings so much outside attention that you, you don't really even want. When we talked before, uh, you know, the mics were rolling here. I was saying how I'm just a, a glutton for, you know, listening to, to misery when I can relate to it. Like, see, you know, because so many times somebody leaves Cleveland, LeBron leaves Cleveland, Kyrie leaves Cleveland and the city or the market will get scapegoated as a like, well, they didn't do enough to put something around him or, oh yeah, well look how they treated Kyrie. They treated him like second fiddle. And, And so to see it come to fruition in Boston and then with Brooklyn, it does feel like a little bit of validation. That's like, see, we weren't crazy. It wasn't just us. This is what was bound to happen. And no matter how well-intentioned you are coming in, this is going to be the end result. And welcome to the club. We're now three cities tied together by the misery of his departure. When did it turn for you? When did it turn from like optimism to being like, "Uh, I don't want to acknowledge it, but... Um, I think it's when they were considering signing him in 2019. (laughs) No. Now, we did have honest debates in 2019 of like D'Angelo Russell or Kyrie, you know, and you know, of course you're kind of red pilled by the guy on your team. You think the guy on your team is better than anyone else. You know, Kyrie had already built up that baggage on some level with what happened in Boston. And so, you know, it even went back to them, but then Brian and I saw the first Kyrie Irving game as a net, you know, regular season game. It was his game against the Timberwolves to open the season and Kyrie like scored 45 points and, he, you know how he plays. He's the most electric ball handler, maybe ever. You get tricked. And then the, it gets, the, the vaccine thing was a thing. And people have their opinions about what's right or wrong. His reasoning was never firm. Um, he never seemed to be honest. He claimed to be fighting for the working class. Um, <laughs> which just, it just never, I mean, I'm sure in his mind, that's how we rationalize it. And it's fine if, you know, I, I don't really want to get into the vaccine politics, but you know what I mean? Like he destroyed the team in that moment. And if anything, this whole saga with Kyrie, you know, Brian on my, my show really talks Brian, even in the moment was like, we really shouldn't be ragging on James Harden because he's, sus- he's sussing out something that is happening internally. And he just got the hell out of there. There's some fabric of what a basketball team should be that has been ripped away and sort of like on some level to do with uh, the player empowerment movement, which is fantastic. Guys should be able to move wherever they want. It is fantastic. But there is an element of like, you need to do some basic things. And Kyrie didn't do the basic things for very, for pretty much the entire time he was here. He was either hurt, taking a medical stance or birthday party. There was that. Well, one. <laughs> there's a lot of rumors about what was happening then too. And then this season, when he uh, puts out on Instagram and Twitter to millions of people of like, "Hey, watch this thing," and most people now believe that Kyrie didn't even watch the full thing. <laughs> like the way he consumes media is he uh, very quickly he like consumes Instagram and quick videos and nothing nothing wrong with that. The LeBron James book club. But that video, that video was three hours and 45 minutes long or something. Like, there's no way he watched it. So anyways, it, it was always something. And at some point, the fabric of a, of a basketball team, you, you need to play basketball. 
so when did it, to trace it back, when did things really, uh, when, I mean, it, it, it got to the point again, to wrap it in a bow that by the time the Nets trade Kevin Durant, it was like, fine. You know, just, we have, I mean, we, it's, it's, it's like, I can't, I'm exhausted. I just want to watch a team that's fun. And this Nets team as well, even though they are not winning a bunch of games, it's a team of good guys. You know, it's like, they're fun. They're a fun, young, exciting team. And Mikhail Bridges is the polar opposite of Kyrie. Bridges played 362 games in a row, you know, it's a, Anyways, I know I babbled for no, no, not minutes. at all, not at all. I yeah. well, because you know, it's it's one of those things in sports, and especially now doing the podcast, where it's like, in some ways, I should be rooting for drama, but there, it, there's a breaking point for everything, and Kyrie is always one of those guys who I get to that point with because he's just exhausting. Uh, your team is kind of the opposite of ours in that it's just made up largely of a ton of you know switchable long wings, <laughs> and and it, immediately when the trade happened, oh, I wonder if we can pry any of these guys free from the Nets in the summer when they're trying to kind of balance their roster more. One of the things that surprised me is seeing all this length and versatility defensively, but no appreciable improvement in the defensive performance. Both teams before and after the All-Star break hover around the middle of the league. And then the three-point shooting, that's where there's been a drastic change. Tied for first in the NBA before All-Star break with the Denver Nuggets, and now 26th in the NBA since that point. The drop off from, you know, Cam Johnson, from Spencer yeah. Dinwiddie, from from outside the arc is that it, specifically to the Cam Johnson one, knowing that he's coming up towards free agency. Where does the fan base sit in terms of what his role is within the team moving forward? I think the fan base just wants so Joe size the owner. They just want him to pay as much money for the team as possible. So <laughs> they're not even considering like. Should the so let's say the contracts? I mean, this is crazy, but let's say it's $25 million a year. Okay, so they're paying Joe Harris about it's going to be about $20 million next year. Joe, there's almost no way that Joe Harris is on this team if Cam Johnson is on this team. But Cam Johnson is a more valuable player than Joe Harris. And while Joe hasn't been good this year, I think he was worth that contract at the time he signed it because at the time he signed it, he was a top three three point shooter in the NBA. He was the perfect wing shooter, not a great defender, but perfect wing shooter and a great guy and all this other stuff, all the sort of, um, all the things that are on the periphery of a player. Cam Johnson is taller, um, can do a little bit more, uh, better rebounder, should be a better defender because of the length. And so let's just say it hits that 25, he gets the three-year $75 million contract. I think the Nets need to, you just need to match because you just need to maintain asset and there's no, because there's no reason not to. And because you can always flip Joe Harris if you have to attach a second round pick to another team for a guy for, like on a cheaper deal or there's going to be some desperate teams. There's always desperate teams. And you talk about your calves. Well, damn, like, well, I was like, give me Joe Harris and Seth you Curry. Can have, uh, you, know, you guys we'll want Royce O'Neal? We have Royce O'Neal. Yeah. We have Dorian Finney-Smith. You know, they're all great. They're all great in the roles. They're actually being underutilized. You know, you talk about the three-point shooting. A lot of that's a product of like Cam Johnson goes from playing off Booker and CP3 to off Dinwiddie, who I love, friend of the sh- friend of the glue guys. Dinwiddie goes from playing off Luca to being on ball. Mikhail's uh, numbers have actually held steady. I mean, he was shooting an incredible like 50-50-90 at one point. But a lot of these guys were had high percentages because they played off Kevin Durant. Devin Booker or Luca. Now they're all playing with each other, right? So you're just going to come down. You're not going to get as open of looks. 
Mikhail now elevated into that role where seemingly defenses would be keyed in against him has sustained all that efficiency. He had, you know, 25-ish games of 25 points or more over the course of his career, and eight of them have been just since this trade. For him to turn up the production and 26 points a game and to be doing all this as the focal point, I heard you guys on the podcast talking about, well, you know, Maybe he's not the number one guy, but it seems like he's proven that he can be a legitimate second option on a very, very good team. He's shifting himself into maybe the one of the perfect second options. If you have the first guy be like ball dominant, I'm going to put up buckets, whether like a Donovan Mitchell, right? Like Donovan Mitchell's fantastic. You guys are so lucky to have him. The Knicks completely screwed up. Like if the Knicks had Donovan Mitchell plus Jalen Brunson, and, you know, the rest of that team, obviously they would have had to ship out some talent. Like they'd be really scary. I think at the East. Um, so I think he's, he's, he's molding into the perfect number two. Uh, I, t- I did say this on the pod, but like the guys who get, who are role players, talented role players who get traded, then elevate are usually ball handlers like Harden and Shea Gilders Alexander. He is a wing who is going from fourth option never really handling the ball that much besides when, you know, Booker or Aiton or CP3 are injured to like, you know, being a shot creator. And he's been very, very good. Um, He plays every game. His defensive skills are bonkers. And it's like, okay, what's the archetype? Everyone's just going to say Kawhi because it's life. Kawhi is just so special. It's kind of hard. I mean, if he's like, again, like a Jalen Brown level wing, that's amazing. Off of then getting all the picks that they got from Phoenix. Well, you have what, three this year? Because you give one to the Jazz for Royce, or whatever the worst pick is, right? But, yeah, but basically, basically we, the Nets have two. They get... Um, I know you have I the Suns, they, and then you have your own, don't you? And then is there... We should, we should have our own. We have a pick swap with the Rockets, but... They're not going to exercise that. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be... If they did, it would mean that we the Nets would have the fourth pick or the third pick or the second pick because somehow the Nets slipped all the way to the lottery, then got the number one pick in the draft, which would be very Nets. If if we don't, if you don't know the history, uh, I think it was like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Colin Sexton was a Nets pick too. I know um, yeah, that one. So like you know, it's very Netsian to be like that. That would end up being Victor. But then the worst case scenario, the Nets get one of the Thompson. I think it's the Tom. Thompson twins are like three and four on the yeah. list. Brandon Miller or uh, Scoot Henderson. So like, what's the worst thing that happened? But yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm pumped about bridges, but it's, it's like, what sucks is that the nets are back into star hunting territory. It's like, who is that? Carl three towns, Trey young. It's like, are those the guy like, didn't we learn our lesson that those aren't, that's not the way to do this to just trade for a star and hope that guy is going to be better. It's like, they, you know, Carthy Johnson hasn't done anything in Minnesota and Trey Young has done one, had one season of success in the playoffs. But since then he's gotten coaches fired and stuff. So, you know, the second we get put back into like things don't suck land, we're like, can we just, can we like, can we have like a terrible person run the team? That'd be great. <laughs> okay. So then what would you do? What would be your choice of actions here? Just use Tra- the pick Trey or- for Trey young or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. now like I do think there's some restructuring, right? Like let's give you guys, but you don't have any first round picks. Do you No, we have a second round pick? That's going to be late this year. And then, uh, our, our next first round pick is, is 
long way away unless we, you know, deal it on draft day or something after we've picked the guy. Because uh, Utah owns them for the next while, and the Pacers have this year's from the Karis LeVert trade <laughs> last year. So there's there's really not much of anything. When when trade deadline hit this year, I, I was looking at you guys after having made those deals and being like, well, maybe if we take some bad money, uh, we can give them love. But then you saw how that all played out, and the Cavs don't yeah. have cap space or picks. So essentially, they're... They're going to have to figure out ways to take on bad money or something if they're going to get any talent back via trade. What? Yeah, like what's your like kind of problem is they're like, so top heavy, right? They got Mitchell, yeah. they have Allen, they have Garland, and and then they'll have Mobley eventually. Outside of that, the biggest contract is Karis LeVert, who expires this year, but has them over a barrel, so he'll probably end up, you know, eighteen twenty million dollars. I season. would not do that. I no care. I like. What can like you do though? It, it's, it's the whole problem of like you give these guys these deals when you think that you're in a contention window, like your Tristan Thompsons, your J.R. Smith, and then if and when this all implodes, you're just you're dealing with it at that point because the alternative is he walks away and you have the taxpayer mid level to work with to replace him. The bench is already. I mean, the bench last night was good, and Karras has been really good, 18 points a game in the last six games, and that's great. But really, the bigger issue is that there's no shooting on the bench. We have very little in the way of reliable wing depth. So if Lavert walks, you're rolling out Osman with one more year left. You're rolling out Lamar Stevens. That's about it. You don't have much else. You don't have a yeah. pick to replace it with either. You gave it to the Pacers. So I think Jared Allen is the guy that you guys could trade, right? Oh, because- you blasphemous. Blasphemous. You could man. he's the guy. I mean, you're not you can't trade Mitchell, right? You can't trade Garland. Well, that that's the thing though, is that Mobley. It, would Jared you, Allen. Would you even consider that? Because I have gotten into it with so many Cavs fans who have said, Okay, you've got to move him for a three and D wing. But to me, that's just changing your problems. Our team is built around this identity of defense. As great as Mobley is, if you're humoring the idea of moving Allen, it's with the assumption that Mobley can man the five do it without finding himself in foul trouble, and you can afford to lose a lot of the roaming capabilities that playing alongside Allen unlocks for Evan. Plus, then you need a four. That means you're putting your belief in Lamar Stevens or Dean Wade to be competent enough to slide over and play minutes at the four. But to me, I don't know that I value this 3 and D wing so much that I would let Allen go. I would just try to hope to get a bargain bin version of those qualities with whatever, you know, ring chasers or taxpayer mid-level you could get. But then again, I'm super biased. I love Jared Allen. What's the easier thing do you think to get in the bargain bin though? A a center, a representative center or a three and D wing? Oh, I I agree with you on that point. A hundred percent. Because it's like, let's say like Terrence Ross, who was a buyout guy. I think neither of them are real. Nerlens, no solution. Yeah, we. Yeah, the Nets picked up. Nerlens. One of the odder, uh, for like you know, buyout pickups. Meanwhile, like, your your you know, backup just destroyed us last night. Uh, Sharp, yeah, Sharp had a career night. Entire career. I know, I know. And he hit a three. This was the delightful part. The Cavaliers have been maligned on a lot of these national pods about. Well, they just they can't win. They they should be much better than their win loss record. They're they're bad in the clutch. But because Sharp banged down that three pointer at the end of the fourth, that qualified as a clutch win for the Cavaliers. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> so, I didn't know that. So yeah, that was a, that was a nice turn. Yeah. So Dayron Sharp, when we played the Charlotte Hornets. 
Nick Richards absolutely murdered us. <laughs> I love when we, Nick Richards. When we played you guys, it's like, like where did this come from? Both your bigs had good games, but comparatively speaking, Sharp, 10 points in the fourth quarter and six offensive rebounds on the way to nine offensive rebounds. Yeah, the, the guy does like vacuum up rebounds. He's always been able to do that. He just can't. He's not long enough, not quick enough, not athletic enough. He's known as like a great worker. Like everyone loves him. He was, he was kind of his history was he was on that ultra talented. I think it's Montverde Academy team with Scotty Barnes and Moses Moody and a couple of other guys. Oh, wow. Um, and so then he went to the Carolina was the best uh, recruit at Carolina for the, that year, but that was a terrible Carolina team. Marks has always done a great job drafting big Sean Marks, the Nets GM. He drafted Jared Allen, Nick Claxton. Um, and so, but Sharp just isn't, he, you know, he's just not it. He's not going to be it. The Nets have so desperately needed him to be it this year. And he's, he, Ben Simmons is kind of the backup five when he hasn't played. Uh, and Dayron has been, the, the, the room has been there for him to do something. And th- that was his best game. You guys saw it. Maybe the Nets can hoodwink, yeah, hoodwink us. We need a thinking. We need somebody Dayron's faster than Robin Lopez. So we would happily, uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, but you know, I just wanted a quick solution to to three way trade. There's got to be some team who could want Jared Allen. So not the Nets. The Nets. I mean, we love Jared Allen. We love him to death. But like, we have Nick Claxton, so it's like duplicative. But the send Jared Allen to some other team. We'll give you some wings, and we get something else from that. I don't know what the other team is, but we'll get. You can be the facilitator. You guys can have again. You guys can have. You can have Joe Harris. You can have Dorian Finney Smith. You can have. Cam Johnson sign and trade could be yours. Could be yours. We have Royce O'Neal could be yours right away. Have, I think Royce would intrigue some people, but if we can't give good. you back a first a good, round pick, unfortunately, no. so it would you know, have to be, he, he may be a second round, but does he have what? One more year after this? Yeah, but it's pretty cheap. It's like mid-level exception. Yeah, level he was money. making around like $10 million a year. Like that to me is a deal that we could get in striking range of matching. Now, Fro is off the table in this, but like I said, the disparity between the high and low makes it very tough for us to match anything in that $20 million a year range unless it's Allen. And I will tell you, like the comments on the suggestion of trading Allen will be poorly very poorly received. <laughs> you have to change the name of your podcast. Yeah, and exactly. I, no one wants that. Exactly. Trade the fro. <laughs> That's, uh, so so uh, Sharp and Cam Thomas both drafted in the same year. What is going on with Cam Thomas? One minute, he's scoring 91 points over two games, and now he's logging DNP CDs. It's just, just he's so unique. He, he can, I mean, he scored like, what was it, the 50-point game? And he, he had that stretch where he seemed like he was going to break LeBron's scoring record. You know, he's just incredible. <laughs> yeah. But we kind of joke about it because from the day we saw him in summer league, he is a bucket, but he, he just does not, he has no concept sometimes of like team basketball of maybe I shouldn't take the 18 foot step back jumper, but he is so gifted at taking those shots, hitting it from angles. He has the most insane confidence. I mean, he's hit so many game winners. He's probably hit the most game winners for a guy who plays the least in maybe NBA history. It's incredible. <laughs> he has hit some game winners or like even like in preseason or summer league games. And you're like, he doesn't even play basketball. I don't know. But he is a guy who he's very young. And if he could, if there is some level of maturation or somebody who can get to him and say, Cam, here are two roads. You're staring at a Jordan Crawford-like career. 
where you're a, a scorer who will have moments like Jordan Crawford was uh, NBA player of the week one week when he was in Boston. Jordan Crawford scored, but now he's playing in China. Or you could be Jamal Crawford. You could play for 20 years and you could be the all-time sixth man of the, of the NBA. He has that potential. So what will anyways, it take to get him back into the rotation? The coaching staff just never trusts him full-time. Ideal playoff opponent. Who would you like to see in the first round? Um, we just did this on the show and now it's like we're getting, we're, we may be the seventh seed. So we may be a lottery team, but you know, I, we, we, I <laughs> said that this. confident I said, you're going to lose the plans. <laughs> um, <laughs> the team, the team is like a rough plan. Like the nets, it's pretty rough, but the, of the top, let's just look at the top three teams. I, I kind of, I put the Celtics as the team I most want to see, which is like crazy, but the thing, the only thing the Nets have going for them is that they have all the wing depth. So like they have Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith throw at Tatum and Brown. And then, you know, that, that's the, if you can muck up those two guys at the Celtics, you have a chance uh, to beat them. We're like Milwaukee, Giannis is just going to dominate. And in Philly, Embiid is just going to dominate. So can you, that's your, that's your avenue right there. Um, we talk about a puncher, puncher's chance if you can punch those two guys in the mouth, that's, that's basically it. Yeah. So I'll go Celtics. Okay. Um, and then I think I went Philly and then bucks. Like, I just don't want to see the bucks. I'm scared. They're, you know, they're tough. That they're tough. mirrors my exact feelings for the second round potential. If the Cavs end up having to face those teams, you and I have identical preferences, uh, in that regard. Well, Mike, uh, thank you for coming on. I know we got another matchup here, but thank you for joining me on the podcast. And for those of you guys who want to hear uh, more Nets coverage, an excellent oh, yeah. Nets podcast, oh. the glue guys, throw them a rating, a subscription, a review. And Mike, best of luck to you uh, the rest of the way here. Thank you for carving out time of your day. I appreciate you. Thank you. Mike Smeltz with the Glue Guys, thank you again for joining me on the Fear of the Fro podcast, Cavs fans. And I know sometimes I get into the weeds a bit with discussions of other teams, but the Cam Johnson market, it could impact Karis LeVert's re-signing number. So I think it's worth looking into as we head towards the summer here, regardless of how far we take this playoff journey. Generally speaking, teams headed in opposite directions can make for good trade partners. And if the sting of Jared Allen departing has diminished in Brooklyn, who knows? Maybe we can partner in the future. Thank you to everybody who joined me. If you like the pod, then leave me a rating, leave me a review. That would be all that I ask. Thank you, Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.